0: 600 KIBA and ABQ.FM. Beautiful Renaissance Italian music. You can sort of consider it the first Italian Baroque music from the ancient dances suite composed way back when in the early to mid 1500s. Uh, this is Danse la musica italiana by Bavani Yardi, Chacconi and Pasacale. Sounds like a great uh, lineup for the New York Yankees, uh, no, or maybe a no great kidding. lineup for some uh, some wine here, uh, here for another great evening of wine and wrapping up the week with, uh, well, Jim Hammond, our in-house uh, wine. Uh, sommelier and eric the apprentice uh, if you will who's enjoying himself a happy 49th birthday this week and uh, a happy, happy birthday, birthday to him post valentino here uh, apropos for the italian uh, saint uh, saint valentine or saint valentine as he was uh, more well known uh, back in the day but i think we you know we made it more of that a little bit later on and both gentlemen are here to enjoy that. How did, how did you like that uh, uh, that intro on the, on the music there? That is uh, by Innocenzio Alberti. Yeah. Uh, by Pavana Gaggiara, Jordi Saval-Hepperson, the 11th. This is Italian Baroque music performed uh, to this very day. And uh, for a lot of people, this is uh, the first time that they've probably heard music just like that, Jim.
1: Well, I, in fact, I remember... Am I on the mic here? Because I'm not
0: here. You me. are on the mic. Uh, yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Yeah, right. we, we, we can hear you loud and clear.
1: That's good. That's all you have to do. As long as you can hear me loud and clear, I don't have to hear myself talk because I usually don't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've, I remember once when we were in in um, when we were in Italy, uh, one of the wonderful times that we were there. It's just about as wonderful places as you can imagine, and uh, wine, food, women, music, I mean, just about everything. And uh, so we... Uh, that sounds a little bit better. So we're, we're in um, in uh, the uh, Tuscany area and uh, go to, go to um, one of the wonderful towns there and uh, we just stroll up in this one building and we hear music. And uh, so we follow the sound of the music and we... It, it was me and some friends that, that we were there, and and this is Florenza, by the way, or Florence, as as some people would call it. And uh, you just unplug me, okay?
0: Um, <laughs> How's that? Can you
1: hear yourself? Uh, well, I yeah, I've, I was actually hearing myself. Oh, good. There you go. oh, oh, okay, there. Anyway, <laughs> so sure so we're 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 just up on the main plazas, and we hear this music, and we we uh see this uh performance going on and it was just like there was no ticket takers or anything like that everyone just so we we quietly strolled in 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 the back and it was probably pr- renaissance music obviously in, in this gorgeous room with very high ceilings acoustics were unbelievable i, I mean the frescoes all over the ceiling it's it just uh, uh, unbelievable you know if you've never been there just like you know, serious culture shock like wow how did all this beauty end up in here? And then the music and the singers. And I was just like, we were entranced the whole time. And this was just like, free, you come in, you listen to the music. And I said, then then we went to dinner in in uh, in Florenza, and we had a fabulous meal. And I previously picked up some really nice, um, some uh, Reserva Chianti uh, from uh, Baron Ricosoli. And I saw that the same wine was on the... On the uh, list there, so I said we'll pick a bottle of that up. And I noticed that it was only about five percent more than I paid at the winery. Oh
2: boy!
1: And I went like, "Oh, I love this country," and <laughs> that has never changed ever ever since. And every time I try an Italian wine, it's the same thing. I say I love this country and what they do. So, with that kind of passion, you can imagine that I was probably going to grab some. Italian wines this time, and you would be absolutely right. So the ones we have now are from the, the, the uh, very heel of the Italian boot. Uh, you can probably visualize that, you know, and, and, and it does look, look like a pretty fancy um, boot. And uh, so what, what's unique about this is that the Salento Peninsula, which is what the boot is more colorfully called, I guess, uh, I, I wouldn't want to be called at the, the heel. No. Uh, but anyway, so uh, oh. the, this is—it's you, you've got the Adriatic on one side, the Ionian Sea on the other. In fact, all of it's really the Mediterranean. But we have—we we have to give it different names so that people know exactly where they are. So if you say the Adriatic, you know that you're on the east side of Italy, um, and on the Ionian Sea, you know you're on the west side. And in between those two is where all these come together, and that's. Right where some wonderful wines come from. And, so, being,
2: and being a former Navy guy, I know you also know that being a boot is not necessarily a term of endearment, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to be a boot or you don't want to be a heel Mm-mm. in any facet of your life.
1: No. No, you have to go through boot camp, but once you get out of there, it's like, okay. Yeah, that was um, an interesting time as, as well. So the two wines we have... Um, one of them you're probably already familiar with because it's become very popular, and that's a Primitivo. And, of course, this is where this particular wine originated, but we do know that um, it is has the same DNA as our Zinfandel. We're going to explore that in a little bit of detail and explain why they have the same DNA. But uh, beyond that, this a particular Primitivo that we're enjoying is, uh, is a Galandino Primitivo, um, and it is uh, really excellent. Uh, it's uh, It says a Galladino Primitivo Cilento. So basically, this is a IGT, okay? So it's not a DOC-related uh, one, not a DOC or a DOCG. We have those in, in the Puglia area, but that's not one of them. And um, this one's about 14%, perfectly balanced. It is really... Pretty awesome. They actually use the uh, a, a, a technique that we'll talk about later that really enriches the the flavor of this wine. One of the local uh, Italian um, wine critics has given this one, believe it or not, 98 points. Now I thought that might be a little over the top, but I still found it to be an incredibly wonderful, drinkable wine that, uh, especially at at the price point, will give you is like. <laughs> Almost embarrassingly inexpensive. And the other one we have is is uh, one you may not be that familiar with. And it's actually in a different bottle. It's actually a, a fairly squat bottle. Looks like something you would have um, a, a liqueur in. Right? Yeah. You know, but that's what they that's the bottles that they use. They might have been left over from something else, who knows? But anyway, this one is uh, Susumaniello. Uh okay. S S U S U M A N I E S. L-L-O, okay? It is a grape. It's a grape. You're probably not that familiar with. I wasn't that familiar with it until I tried this one from Ruggiero de Bardot. And, but it is also really impressive. Uh, the Permitivo I got online. And the, the uh, Susamaniello I got from Trader Joe's. So we're trying two different sources other than the typical Total Wines for the, the wines we have here. And that was because I wanted to try something a little different. Um, and uh, so and in fact, I've been eager to try this primitivo since I picked it up, but you know, when you do order on, online, don't uh, take it as uh, soon as you, oh, let's open a bottle right away and try it. Give it at least a month of rest. This is what we call travel shock. Again, this is particularly critical for red wines. You don't want to, you don't want to disturb them for a while. Okay, they've had a long travel. Imagine if you had just traveled around the world. Would you want someone to open you up and drink you? Of course not. No. no so, way. so anyway, that's what that's what we're saying. Give it. So, so this has actually had about two months of rest in my wine cellar before we opened the first bottle, wow. and it's uh, pretty pretty spectacular. So we're talking about both of these. This is from the the uh, it's called Apulia, uh, which is the I think what the, the Italians call it, and and Puglia is the way we do. There's actually a G in there. It's actually a soft G, not a silent G. I don't know about you. I have trouble with the soft Gs. You know, oh, you just swallow that letter. I said, how do you do that? You know, a lot of people, that that, you know, better at languages than I am uh, just understand it. For me, it's a little challenging. But anyway, uh, so I'll probably pronounce it three or four different ways during the course of the show. Just be be aware of that and don't worry about it. It's the same place, okay?
2: Puglia. Puglia.
1: Yeah. So... The southern Italy wine regions um, are quite a marvelous area, and we've actually explored this in the past. So we've actually been to, uh, we haven't been to, to uh, Malice, but we've been to Campania, and we've had a couple of fabulous red wines from there. We've been to Basilicata um, and had a Volturi uh, red wine uh, from the Alianico grape, which was quite wonderful. And uh, so those are all very interesting and of course we have been in Sicily and we've been in Sardinia now, I mean obviously only virtually uh, but we've found fascinating wines in each in each place and uh, we've already done one Primitivo from here but very different than this one and the other thing I want to do is you know a lot of times we try to contrast wines but uh, since Kevin's been on the road a lot uh, we haven't been doing that but I thought well these are reasonably priced wines Uh so I think I'll get another one so we can have a nice contrast. And as Eric will find when he tries the this one, it's definitely very different from be, between red fruits and fairly soft tannins to uh, a, a more tannic um, dark fruit uh, wine. But both really pretty impressive, I think, oh, especially yeah. at the price point we're talking.
2: Oh yeah, I'm totally impressed. I'm gonna, I'm kind of enjoying the Primitivo. I'm, if you know if that was all we had, I'd be completely satisfied. But now that we have two, it's it's extra exciting, exactly. And we're also celebrating our birthdays
1: here, so you know that's we might as well have some a couple of good wines to celebrate. Right.
2: A lot of birthdays coming up, oh, yeah, and for us by. anyway. Yep,
1: okay. So, uh, the um, if, if you look at the wine map of um, Pulia, you'll see that um. Besides the heel, it actually goes up the, what would be the instep, the instep, right? The the, the back of the, yeah, is the instep. It's kind of nice. We can use anatomical references, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Usually we can't do that. It says, well, it's kind of liver-shaped. I haven't seen a liver. Well, anyway, uh, but that you can kind of figure. So it does go up the coast quite a way. And, in fact, I think right in the middle where it's still on the instep is is where Barry is, B-A-R-I. That's the, that's the main town there, that's the, the capital of that area, the main port, and that's probably where uh, the Primitivo grape uh, was uh, came into, that, that particular port, because it would have been across the Adriatic on the other side in a little uh, country called Croatia, and uh, that is where this the Tribodag uh, grape originally came from. It actually has even more complicated and ridiculous name for it, but We'll, we'll just go with that one.
2: Trubadike. Uh, it sounds that's complicated already, right? Is that did I say that right? Trubadike?
1: Trip a drag.
2: drag. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and I don't know the lo- the local language to see how they would pronounce that, but you know, it's uh, that that's what it originally was called. But we know it by its other names, from in Italy and Zinfandel in the U.S. Uh-huh, so okay. that's where all that comes from. So um, other than pronunciation problems. Um, as, as I said the Salento Peninsula is where I believe both these wines came from actually I'll, I should look at the at this one and see if it mentions it's also an IGT, they're both IGT wines um, and which is kind of interesting uh, but they still make awesome wines this one is 14 and a half oh, well, well, well,
0: darn it wow, okay, sorry about that I will uh, go and get that. All right, very quickly. Sorry. No, no, no. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go get it. I just didn't even see the cord. Yeah. So this is the 98 point? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say that whoever is rating this wine might be pretty close to that.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, I gotta, I gotta it. It, it's pretty amazing. It's <laughs> definitely pretty pretty amazing. We had a, we had a little uh, bit of an accident here, which is part of the excitement that's going on. So. Well, they're doing the cleanup. I'll just keep going here. So uh, we have the Balea DOC and IGT subregions, okay? So there's uh, actually four DOCGs. If you recall, again, I haven't uh, done this. So from the top of the end, you go to DOCG. Uh, the the uh, This is a document of origin guaranteed. That's the top value, and you probably... Had some, uh, if you had a uh, Chianti Classico, that was a DOCG, for example. If you had a Barolo, that was a DOCG. And uh, so these are, our, are uh, the, the, the highest of the high. But they're also adhering to certain specific things like the grape you can use, et cetera. So that's what that affects. Then you get the DOCs. There's tons more of those around. But again, these are the regulated ones. The IGT or IGP uses both both uh, of those three-letter acronyms. In either case, it's it's going to be uh, one that possibly uses different than local grapes, or it may use a different technique than is normally articulated for a DOC region, or it may just not have a, a been identified with the soil and everything else as, as being totally appropriate. We can't always tell about that, but then they are IGPs. But again, some of these uh, in that category are very highly regarded, expensive wines. The the Super Tuscans are a typical example of that. So even though they have the IGT rating, they they, they go for hundreds of dollars a bottle. So the point is, although it's good to follow the regulations we talk about for how Italy regulates it, don't always just go by them uh, as gospel, okay? We're not we're we're going outside the gospel in this particular case. So we have 28 DOCs and six IGPs, and the oh, okay. and the and the Salento IGP, uh, which I believe is where both these came from, um, is also um, one of the uh, most popular and one of the ones that's generating a lot of interest uh, around the world. And of course, Primitivo is is really increasing in popularity. In just a short period of time. So there, uh, this particular area, of course, um, has been known for fine wines for a while, but most of them weren't on the export market. That is not the case now. And, in, in fact, in uh, production increased in the last several years up 70% from the previous decade. What would keep them from the export market? Uh, the quality. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, when the the quality was stepped up, uh, which is what's happened with a lot of these wines, uh, and that was part of what what they were doing. They they wanted to attract the the uh, import market, and so export market. Excuse me. So they had to up their their game on the quality of the wines they were doing. In some cases, like the uh, the Susa Maniello, uh that particular grape was was usually uh, it, it was it could be really overproduced, and uh, which is great if you just want to have a a volume of, you know, a quantity of wine. But if you're looking for quality, that's not going to work. So when they started discovering that particular grape uh, could, uh, with, with when it, the grape vines are older and they're generating less fruit, could generate really expressive, wonderful wines. So that's what we're dealing with here. And in the case of Primitivo, um, I would have to say that I haven't had one Permitivo I haven't enjoyed. Uh, they've been really pretty impressive. And this one is is like gangbusters.
2: It sure is, yeah. You know, it's, uh, as it's opening up, it tastes less and less sweet, and the balance is coming into play. Mm-hmm. And, but, uh, it's, uh, well,
1: it's interesting that when it opens up more, it also integrates the alcohol into it. Uh-huh. And when the alcohol is in- into it, they eat less perceptive. That may also influence what your palate is thinking is the sweetness, uh-huh. okay. which, which I'm definitely not getting the sweetness, but I do get the richness of it. But it has a little bit, you know, and the, the other thing to be aware of is everyone's perception of sugar or sweetness varies. Mm-hmm. Some people uh, can pick it up in the smallest quantities. Other people, it needs to be really... Uh, broadly aspect to, to, for that and part of that has to do with the uh, with what we know are, are the sensory elements in our mouth more than anything else because that's where we're going to sense it right so uh, the, um, the, the, the tongue has certain areas where it picks up more than others but all of the tongue picks up everything that's going on in the wine it picks up the sweetness or the, or the sourness hopefully you don't get sourness it's going to p- p- pick up the tannin elements of it the alcohol level, and all of the, which is why when you, when we always say when you're enjoying wine, is don't just take a sip and swallow it immediately. It's like oh, you're missing most of what's going on. Let that wine stay in your mouth for a while, so you can sample it. Which is what what we do. We we kind of run from our tongue over the top of our mouth to see what the tannins are like. We we just kind of really treat the tongue with a. Wine bath is the way we could probably say it, and it, it what what it does is intensify all those flavors, so you get more out of it, and get some air in there too, huh? Air oh yeah, air. oh yeah, yeah. When what, what, when we do a sip like this, uh, one of the things we we do is purse our lips and draw in air. So what that does is that air going in there excites. All the inside of your mouth. You already know that. You've been outside on a cold day. You know, <gasps> uh, I don't want to exhale now because that was too cold. So you know what I mean. So that's the same thing that's going on here, except in a much nicer way because now you're getting more of the new. It's it's, it's kind of like a turbo charge, which is what, what I would say. Pursing the lips and drawing the air in, it's like turbo charging that wine in your mouth. Okay, so if you haven't tried this yet, um, I would suggest start with water. I've, I've had one class where I've explained this and someone would do it and they'd just choke. And I says, no, no, you weren't supposed to inhale the wine. You were supposed to enjoy it. So uh, just, just be careful about that. But otherwise, best way to just really intensify your, your enjoyment of the wine. Okay, so the um, regions of uh, this particular uh, region of, of Italy, primary grape varieties are Sangiovese, no big surprise. That's the most planted grape in Italy. Uh, 15%. Primitivo, 14%. So very close to the the, the very well-known and loved Sangiovese. Negromaro is also about 14%. And we'll talk about that one a little bit. And then Trebbiano, which is one of the white grains, 13%. But we're focusing on the red ones here. So um, be aware that when they when, uh, the Italians name some of their grapes... They'll use the terms either Nero, N-E-R-O, or Negro, N-E-G-R-O. These are terms for, uh, not for the emperor or for a race. They're identifying that the grapes are black, okay? Because sometimes you'll have ones that are Blanca. So if, if they have one that could be both, they'll say Blanca and Nero uh, to identify the the variety that is the black and the one that is the white skin. Okay? Got that? All right. Yes, sir. Sangiovese. Uh, well, no surprise that this is Italy's most planted grape because it's so flexible, everything it can do. High acidity matches a lot of the native spicy uh, tomato-based dishes perfectly. Uh, you notice if you had a, almost any Chiani and pizza. It's like, weren't they designed together? They absolutely were, absolutely.
2: Like Baroque music and wine, right? It yeah. Just,
1: well, yeah, Baroque music works really nice with that. It's got a certain... A certain structure to it that you also like to have in your wine um cherry roasted tomato sweet balsamic and oregon uh, uh oregano excuse me flavors uh that's, doesn't that does not sound like the flavors you got from the food there well it does and I'm, this should not be a surprise uh wines have evolved um and are paired with the foods it's almost like they were grown t- together so so that they would mutually complement each other and and they they do and of course yeah, you know, my first choice, if I have Italian food, is Italian wine. Duh. Uh, it, they, they really are perfectly blended to each, each other. So, and, and of course, there's very, there's a lot of regional names for these grapes, too, that you need to be aware of. Uh, so, depending on, uh, if you're looking at, an, um, let's see, the, oh yeah, the, the uh, if you look at the Vino di Billy di Montepulciano, uh, could I forget a word like that? Or words, uh, anyway. In that area, they their their Sangiovese is Pugnelo Gentile. Okay, uh,
2: Gentile.
1: Brunello Gentile. Yeah, but it's the same grape. Okay, so. But uh, again, the Italians realize that that grape plant in a certain area and certain soil has a different aspect to it, and that's why they give them different names. Uh, so and, and that's same same thing with the Brunellos. The Brunello is a special clone of Sangiovese, and in fact, one of my favorite uh, local California wineries that uses that that particular clone makes some astonishingly good uh, Sangiovese. So the uh, that that's one of the reasons why the Italians do that. They're really identifying it's this grape, but it comes from here, and of course, geographic location, as we know. Particularly in the old world, is a is a critical element that they really express. Okay, so it's uh, worldwide. It's about uh, about ninety percent come from Italy. So even though it's a wonderful grape and and lends itself to a lot of different areas, it's Italy that still scores the majority of it. So there you go. Vermitubo. Okay. So again, this if if you're searching for a richer, fuller-bodied red with abundant weight. Than you look at for the Puglia Primitivo. Uh, normally has a taste of dark fruit, although th- this one is more. I-, I would think more in the red fruit uh, area, uh, with flesh with uh, fresh figs. But I'm not picking that up with this particular one. But it's a different interpretation, so that that's fine. Um, blueberries and baked uh, and and baked uh, blackberries. Uh, blue- blueberries. I definitely get blueberries in it. In fact, that I love blueberries so. That, that's always nice to have. Uh, dried fruit character. Th- this one is more soft, so I'm not getting as much of, of that. But, again, this is the, the general versus a specific. Um, so the there is one DOCG area here and one DOC that are based on this particular grape. But this one, as I said, is the IGT version. Okay. So, uh, again, it would be less expensive. A DOCG, it's always going to carry a higher price tag. That's just what you expect. So many plantings are in 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 the um, of Zinfandel actually came from here. So there's basically two different routes that we got our Zinfandel from. One of them is from Croatia, and those particular grapes were actually uh, analyzed by some of the uh, the people who do that in uh, in England. And they passed that information to a New England society. And they said, well, this uh, particular black grape looks like it might be for a good table grape. But they described the characteristics. And they sent some of the roots over. They sent them out to California uh, as cuttings. And uh, so in, in uh, New England, they, they called it Zinfandel with a D-A-L. When it was transferred over to, to, uh, to the, the, in the gold country, which is where it first came to rest, um, it was Zinfandel with a D E L. But that's how that particular name came about. And of course, that was, it became the most planted uh, red wine grape in California for quite a long time. But the other source that came was from Croatia uh, f- f- to Italy, and from Italy to. And, and of course, it would have come into. The only place I've seen it just about is in P- Padilla. So you, one would assume that uh, that is where the, the grape came into. And uh, because it's planted all, all over that area, but a lot of the uh, a lot of the grape makers there, the the grape growers, um, settled in California, and they brought their cuttings with them as well. So one of the places that happened was in Mendocino. Um, and in fact, it was the it was the Tomage Bench. In fact, we talked about that a little bit on one of the shows on on Mendocino's infidel. and the fact that uh, those those. I mean, it's going to have the same DNA. So it's not like you could say, is this one from originally from Croatia or is it one that came to us via Italy? Uh, that would be kind of challenging. But the fact that there was a, a, a lot of uh, immigrants that came in there uh, from that area, one can assume that some of so, so that we have our own Zinfandel and our Primitivo clone. Then, of course, we also have Primitivo because all of that was directly imported uh, from Italy. And in fact, that's been hugely successful. Uh, the Paso Robles area in particular, uh, the Castoro cell is one of my favorite Zen producers. They usually have like eight or nine different Zen fidels every year. Uh, they started planting Primitivo. They put it in a nice long, elegant bottle, kind of like this one. Mm-hmm. The next year they had increased their planting by a factor of 400%. Oh, wow. Because they realized they had a Great grape on their hand. Now, one of the things about it is it is early, early ripening. That's where the word primitivo came from. Not that it was primitive, but that it was an earlier ripening version. And unfortunately, in New Mexico, that can be a challenge because we had those late frost heaves and a grape that's already starting up is is going to be slammed down real hard. So you'd have to go way in the south uh, and to, to actually find any successful... Pl- in fact, one of the few I found is... Uh, is La Vina, which uh-huh. is one of our wineries way south. They're uh-huh. maybe about 15 miles north of the Texas border. Oh, great. And uh, so they, they, they do a pretty decent Primitivo, but they're the only ones that, you know, can can really get it to survive and, and grow. So. so
2: so you could use Zinfandel and Primitivo interchangeably, or they're essentially the same grape? Uh,
1: they are they have different origins. Okay. Uh, I'll say they're clones of each other. Okay. Which is why we give them different names just like the Italians do when they cite a grape in a different area. Okay. So, so yeah, Primitivo is specifically a clone that came from Italy.
2: Okay, I see.
1: Okay, and if, if it's Zinfandel, it could be either, actually, uh-huh. uh, because we, we don't have any records of going back there. I see. But anyway, that's basically what we're, what we're looking at, is we're looking at Italian Primitivo, uh, local-grown Primitivo, and local-grown Zinfandel. Confusing. Well, there you go. Uh, another very important grape, and we didn't have a, uh, an example of that to try on the show. Otherwise, that would be three. Well, yeah, we could maybe do that. We, we, we,
2: if we had a three-hour show, maybe. A, a three-hour hour show.
1: show. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that that's what it would need. We would need a lot more time. Anyway, so that's the, the Negro Amaro grape. So, again, the Negro, black. Amaro means bitter. So, it basically means black, bitter. Which is kind of off-putting, but really what they're talking about when, when they say uh, bitter, the Italians, the same thing with uh, which is another wonderful grape that they have uh, f- from the Valpolicello region. But in, in that case, they're basically saying, well, in that case, we use the, the uh, straw map process, but we didn't do it to make a sweet wine. We did it to make a dry wine. So bitterly means dry. Uh, so that's what they're basically saying. So these are dry red wines. And so that's, that's part of what comes from the, that particular term. So, uh, that particular one is, uh, is, uh, one of its, its, uh, most important, um, exports is the Salice Salentino DOC. Uh, it's, it's named for the, the, the Salento Peninsula. It's on the backside of the heel, uh, extending into the ocean. And this particular grape, um, is, is a quite a wonderful one. It's, um, that it's based on Negromero, uh, in Alicio, Prendici, Copertino, not Cupertino, Cop- Copertino, Leverano, Man- Martino, Nardo, and Squizzano. Squizano. Those are all the areas uh, that are identified as DOC that are based on this grape. So we're saying that all of those particular sub-regions within Populia area are also based on the negro America grape. So it's a, obviously a very significant, important one. Uh, Saint-Sommelier uh, Jackson uh, Roba, writing on Wine Folly, said, Even though negro Mar is full-body, it is not too tannic or acidic, and instead leads with bombastic fruit, which makes it easy to chug, especially alongside meatballs or pizza. I just caution about chugging wine, as I said before, okay? Even though some of these are like that, you just want to do that. Uh, just try to suppress that natural desire.
2: Yeah, I see you cringing whenever whenever you come across that <coughs> chugging the yeah, wine yeah. concept.
1: But ba- basically what we're talking about is is uh, when you have a wine that's like that, that you just want to keep drinking and drinking, these are the ones that, that I call the HDI, the Hammond's Drinkability Index. And that's for wines that once you take a sip, you cannot stop. It is just so, you just, oh, have to try more and more, which means a wine that's going to be a lot more accessible, right? One that's really heavily tannic or heavily alcoholic or really dry or too sweet, whatever, you're going to go, uh, it's a off. When you have one that has everything in balance and it just it's just meets your palate uh, with a kiss, that's when you're going to find something really special. I mean, so, what,
2: what are your suggestions for controlling yourself in a situation like that? I mean, uh... It was all. Um, it was almost all I could do to not chug that primitivo just now. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's it is it's so, truly it's amazing. Not, uh, that's uh, um, th- that that
1: I, I got online out. It's not available now, uh, but I did get some of that on online for about seventeen dollars a bottle.
0: Really, but it, it but it
1: it, it listed for twenty eight.
2: Yeah. Better just stick with a case at least, huh? No. Just just yeah. one case.
1: Yeah. Next time I'll I'll just scrub a case of one of these. And don't chug <laughs> it.
2: For, for, yeah. For goodness sakes.
1: So anyway, uh, so, so the um, next one is Bambino Nero. Okay, obviously another black grape. Um, the black baby. Yeah, black baby, exactly. And it's one of the last to, to ripen, so it's 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 usually doesn't reach optimal ripeness, so. Which again, when we talk about the ripeness level, it means that you start with high acidity and low sugar, and over time you get higher sugar and lower lower acidity. Okay, until so you reach your hopefully your balance point. If you have to stop it before that, then you say you know uh, this might be better in a rosé, uh-huh. uh, and so that is why it's a classical one used for the rosés from around there or rosato, as as the Italians would call it. And so it, it, it still is, is a very prized uh, grape, but they ba- basically take its limitation and they make a positive out of it. Isn't Excellent. that good? I, I love that people do that.
2: Oh, I love that. I love it, too.
1: And then the, the next one is the Sismaniela. Uh, okay.
2: That's the one I've been sniffing here for the last 15, 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite impressive. I'm so, building, yep.
2: building up the anticipation.
1: This is the first time i've i've tried this particular wine i mean literally the first time i, I i've tried it and i i've seen it at trader joe's before which is where this one comes from and uh, we, we always have going to trader joe's is like a treasure hunt uh the more you, of course you know about wine the, the better you'll pick out the right treasures if, if you're not you might just pick something and you say well that's interesting uh and then decide whether you want more of it in in california though we have the TJ tailgating concept. Oh we we a uh, bunch of us go in there. We get some nice uh, munchies, and then we get at least a couple of bottles of each one we think are interesting. We go out to our cars. We open up the wine. We we sample the, the the wines. Anything we really love, we go back and buy cases of. And this is why you can go into a lot of places for Trader Joe's in California. And if you don't buy it that day, you may not see it again, okay? But <laughs> that's, that's, I haven't seen that same problem here. I haven't seen any tailgators here, so they don't understand this concept. Don't give it away, please. Uh, we, we don't want other people to know about this. A little
2: more discretion. And, uh, yeah, it's like it's given – I'll tell you what. My first sip, it's given me spring fever. Give and a, how do
1: you how, – how does your spring fever manifest itself?
2: It's – it's all about the fruit. It's mm-hmm. about the sunshine. Mm-hmm. It's the fruit. And I keep, you know, our great intro music, I keep, take, keeps taking me back mm-hmm. to the Baroque era. Mm. A symphony of flavors and sunshine, green, renewal. I'm, I'm feeling it for sure.
1: Well, that's kind of interesting because the description I have here, it kind of goes that way. Uh, but basically what this means is little black donkey. Okay, That's right. or donkey if if you're Scottish, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's a fitting tribute to to the vine which, come harvest, appears to almost struggle under the weight of abundant clusters of large grapes. Of course, one of the problems with this when you have a very heavy producer is the, is the quality is going to be very low, with quantity is going to be very high, and that's probably all right for local consumption. But if you want hit the export market, you got to do that a little bit differently. So with, with age, the vines' uh, productivity declines significantly, ends up with a lot smaller berries, very rich, concentrated juice. And uh, the wines from these older vines are endowed with great structure and elaborate symphony of aromas. So you actually, you but must have I, been reading my copy. I did
2: read it, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I promised I was just improvising there of my, after my first taste. Well, there you go. I, maybe it sunk in subconsciously.
1: It, it happens all the time. Right. Uh, so, so this, uh, you yeah, know, at, at one time, this is an ancient grape, too. This is one that's been a long, around for a long time. You know, a f- few of the winemakers considered that, they, th- th- that it was going to be really that good, but then they tried some of the old vine versions, and they found, hey, we can make good wine out of this, which is kind of what I was talking about. So um, the, the, the vineyard is close to the sea with a constant wind and sandy, well-drained soil. Uh, provide the best conditions for the cultivation of this ancient grape and and I'm so gl- happy that that it hasn't gone away that we still have it we can still enjoy this really fascinating very dark brooding wine is is you know just to just characterize it or personify it but this one's really good so anyway the first one we have is the is a Galadino Primitivo Salento 2020 IGT 14 uh, percent abv uh 28 uh, if you can still get it online it's going to be a lot less than that probably uh but i would suspect that uh, the next year um people are going to be already anticipating this one and snapping it up uh so anyway this one is uh was an o- online purchase uh with invino uh which i've used before the, the main thing uh, was online producer they should be reputable they should be really good at transporting your wine. That's one of their main functions they're providing for you is safely transporting your wine. And they did a great job on this one. It arrived actually, shockingly, about a week and a half after I ordered it, uh, which was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to do more of that. So, uh, so in, in, in theory, a Salento IGT wine could be red, white, rosé, uh, still, sparkling, Spomante, uh sweet, uh, or dry. And over 50 varieties are allowed. So that gives it kind of a really broad, you know. But in practice, it, the region is really known for powerful, dry, rustic reds. Mm-hmm. And boy, is that what we're dealing with here. Um, it's uh, powerful for sure. It, yeah, just really. Yeah, this was 14.5%. The uh, the uh, Primitivo is, is 14. But both really wonderful. I, I'd probably prefer the Primitivo. I could probably drink it more. Uh, mm-hmm. longer but I still like the Susumanyellow it's <laughs> they both deliver they're real similar I thought yeah, the the color the is r- very is very close and and so some of the elements and of course they're grown in almost in the same soil mm-hmm. uh, so it's just two different grapes and you know a lot of these grapes evolve from one or two grapes uh-huh. to, to to begin with over time so mm-hmm. a lot of grapes are are you know modifications of, of other grapes it's kind of one of the things that makes it kind of fascinating. Uh, so the uh, the polio DOC wines are Primitivo di Mandora and Salice Salento, and uh, the core grape varieties of Primitivo, Negroamaro, and Malvasia Nero are are also present in the Salento IGT wines. Uh, so the typically Salento IGT wines center on Primitivo, thirty-seven percent are Primitivo base, and N- Negro Amaro, 27.8. Uh, so the, uh, this particular one, of course, is, uh, the uh, Galladino is a 100% s- uh, Primitivo and really nice. Okay, tasty notes. Uh, while California Zinfandel is typically sweeter and jammier, Primitivo from Galladino is zesty, fresh, and juicy, packed with bright red fruits, basically full of soil, soul, excuse me, and everything you love about well-priced Italian reds. This is from Luca Moroni, who scored this wine 98 points. Okay, when I sent him and said something like that, I said, wait a minute, that's off the scale. What's going on here? So I said, who is this guy? So anyway, Luca uh, Moroni is a self described sensory analyst who founded the Rome-based Taster of Wine magazine, rates wines according to its Pleasantness Index. Oh. Okay. Following that factors, the science. Yeah. That factors in a wine's consistency, balance, and integrity, with a possible score of up to 33 points awarded of each of those three characteristics. Okay, yeah. which will be ninety nine percent total.
2: Yeah, it's sounding remarkably like the Hammonds drinkability in Yeah,
1: that's kind of what I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is. You know, what I I I give out wines like that a higher rating. You know, they are they're they're not. The most sophisticated wines, a lot of times, but they are the ones that just put joy in your life every time you take a sip, and I think that, that qualifies for a very high rating myself. So
2: it, it sure does. You know, I'm, you know, I've, Jim, I've done this show with you a short while now, and I'm open to all things wine tasting, and I have a feeling that you're not going to bring a cruddy wine in here, and I was thinking in the in the spirit of. Kevin Petrusnik, maybe we should bring a maybe I should bring a cruddy wine in here to to uh, contrast As, to, to all, balance it, yeah, to, <laughs> with all your great wines, just to just to remember what a crappy wine might taste like. Yeah,
1: well, we we've been pretty lucky here, but you know, a lot part of it is my analysis and looking at wines, and and part of it is is, is looking at, at ratings, but you know, ratings are still subjective. The rating comes from one person, okay. One person rated this particular wine that high, um, and he may be the you know, Luca may be the only one who would do that. I would still rate it about 91%, uh, 92%. Uh, it's, if I consider the pleasurability aspect of it, I would rate it at least 92%. Uh, percent. Right. And I'm thankful I still have a couple of those bottles I ordered back in my wine cellar. So this was a happy day for me.
2: have got a little <laughs> more science to do back on your own time, huh?
1: Oh, Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the, so the uh, vineyard, the vines and the grapes that produce the wine are uniquely trained by the Albrello method. Uh, it's, it's one of ancient origins, and, of course, this Mediterranean, I mean, some of these grapes have been around for a couple of thousand years. Uh, so this particular technique is used to compensate for the lack of water in a very hot climate. Did I mention that really is a really hot, dry area? I mean, really, really hot, dry area. So the Salento Peninsula, you can imagine, if you were, if, if I was going to be uh, growing grapes and making wine, any place, that's where I would want to do it. With nice cool breezes coming in from the, the, the various seas to try to moderate the temperature and and uh, help me and my grapes to get through a day. All right. Uh, so anyway, the uh, the grapes are hand picked. The stem go through a meticulous selection process slow maturation in French oak barrels, um, and resulting in outstanding full-body wines with soft tannins. It is very soft tannin. I mean, the tannins are there, but you have to almost look for them.
2: Oh, yeah. It, it hit me. At, my first taste didn't hit me, but this one, and, and it's real subtle. Mm-hmm. It's not as, not as uh, coarse tannins as the last couple of weeks of wines that we tried from right. Spain. Yeah, this it one's very this one, approachable. This one's more addicting. I don't know another word for that, but I could be. I'm addicted to this wine already. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wine making. It's uh, made using the appassimento uh, method. Again, this is an ancient uh, Italian tradition of naturally drying the bunches, so that you end up with more, more raisin grapes, which are a good concentration of uh, flavors, and a rich, ripe, and uh, luscious wine, including dark red, dark uh, raspberry. Brighter blueberry with, with some licorice and cherry. That's kind of what I, I mentioned, wasn't it? it sure oh, is. What is. What a surprise. And, okay, so the other one here, also fun. This one is the Rogero di Bardo Susamaniello, 14.5% ABV, nine ninety nine at Trader Joe's. That's a pretty darn good price for this wine. I, I would say this one's really nice. And uh, it's been a while since we've done a Trader Joe's wine on, on there, but I always like to do that. It's it's just fun going there, and I always find something new and exciting. This one, of course, was I was put on by John, the reverse wine snob, uh, and and I've actually corresponded with John a couple of times. Uh, really, really knows his, his wines, and he's he's. Uh, in, in fact, if if you just uh, put that in reverse wine snob, he'll show he, he will list for you all of the wines at Trader Joe's and all the wines at Costco. Oh,
0: okay. Those
1: were two of his specialties. So he talks about everything that's there and gives you his own personal input on on all of them. So uh, I highly recommend you check out that guy. Um, and I have gotten wine from him too. That has been really well set up. So always a good thing. Uh, so this is uh, quite an interesting grape. Uh, it's uh, it's made, This one is made exclusively by at Trader Joe's Um, And like a lot of this, uh, this is comments from John, by the way, like a lot of Trader Joe's wines. The trademark is owned by the Aquino Italian importing company, bottled by Famar Vino, who also makes the Epicure wines for Trader Joe. In fact, this appears to be the same wine as the Epicure Susamaniello Maniello that's sold in Europe. He goes through a lot of detail to discover these things. But one of the interesting things and actually these two wines don't have an audit. Um, a, a lot of wines on their label, they have a code. Mm-hmm. There's a program you can get that will decode it for you. It'll tell you who the actual producer is, a lot of the details you can actually learn. Really? Oh, yeah. It's re- pr- like, pretty neat. Like so,
2: the, old, the old QR code? Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. I don't and, and,
1: and it's usually wrapped around the top there. So, I, actually, we ha- I had one wine that my wife and I had for our 25th anniversary. And I had a picture of the of the neck of the bottle uh-huh. that I could... I could focus in on Mm -hmm. so I typed it in and I found out oh that's the wine we had Uh that was really that was fun Uh, anyway so tasting notes from the winery deep ruby red with purple shades deep ruby red absolutely with purple on the nose blueberries and ripe red fruits uh, underbrush and red flower tobacco aromatic herbs and a a light zesty sensation so definitely you get some of the Tobacco is, is in the in the background for me because I don't like if it's too much of a t- tobacco flavor. but A sweet tobacco. Sweet to tobacco for sure. w- w- would actually make more sense, yeah. Uh, so John's Wine Notes, the aroma on the 2017 uh, Ruggiero. Did I say this was 2017? I think It's
2: a 2020.
1: This is the 2020. Yes, sir. Okay, so he was talking about uh, an earlier one. So...
2: Would there be that much difference in in three years?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, well, uh, the and three years later, their success growing with the grape, it should be at least as good, if not better than than what they had. But okay. y- you can't always tell about that. Anyway, so um, yeah, uh, he he might have been actually tasting a, an earlier version. So the twenty twenty is what we got. We're using our tasting uh, palate for this particular one. But yeah, it's. Um, the 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 tannins are dense, but they're not coarse. They're they're, they're kind of dense, fine. Uh, they're, they're just there everywhere on your tongue, and uh, the 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 color is a little a little bit darker than the Primitivo, and definitely I I, I get a, a, uh, I, I get more plum notes and maybe black cherry than I than I do a red fruit. There is probably some red fruit there, but I think it's overpowered by the dark fruit. Uh, anyway, that's my approach to it he said, he said it was a bit hot almost port like um but it does mellow after a while and I, I didn't get the port like aspects of it either but again he's he's talking about an earlier one so I,
2: I would have picked port like also yeah for sure oh, yeah, okay but I would have. well there is some of those elements to it yeah it's it's just hit hit out of the park yeah, yeah. it's out of the park it's it's springtime in a glass for me absolutely springtime in a glass okay
1: um so anyway the uh what you have is two really interesting and different wines from the the same area uh, again this is p-u-g-l-i-a Puglia, uh one of the fasting uh, really growing a lot more popular areas in in italy uh so this is an area you should be checking in different wines that are out there, um, and they're pretty amazing. Now, one of the things we talk about on the show is uh, the acidity, the acidic backbone and the balance between acidity. And, and I recognize that some people, when they see a word like acid, they think about heartburn and, and acid indigestion and all the rest of that stuff. So, or
2: psychedelics.
1: yeah. Psychedelic? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a different acid. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't thought about that one, but I'm glad you that's brought that. That's where my into. mind's going. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, what, when we talk about it, it's it's a the the, the idea is the acidity gives the wine lift. as sometimes the term we use or freshness, a lively palate, um, and and it also because of the acidity, it, it also starts the, the 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 saliva the the going. And it's, it makes it perfect for pairing with with food. If you don't have uh, any acidity in it, the wine is flabby. Pretty un- uninteresting to begin with. And it doesn't pair with food very well because, again, it doesn't have that essential element that is like a catalyst to the food and the wine just coming together in some kind of glorious way uh, that is probably better than the sum of its parts. But if you don't have the acidity, it ain't going to give you much. So... So some people say, well, I'm you know, and you may have a problem with drinking too much wine because of the ac- acidity. That's not an unusual thing, so you have to be careful about it. But the point to be aware of is an invaluable part of it. So um, there's a chart that we have here from Wine Folly. Go to Wine Folly. They have Their graphics are always wonderful. And they basically uh, just gave you an overview of the, the whole thing, uh, pH from 0 to Thirteen, and seven is considered neutral. Uh, so if you go, if you go above seven, then then you're getting into into the uh, the uh, oh, excuse me the yeah the I'm just blanking on the word. It'll come to me in a minute. So you have the acidity, and where is the word? Uh, anyway. I'm just freak- I'm just blanking on the word alkaline. Thank you. Alkaline, okay. Uh, so it's it's alkaline or acidic, and uh, so that's the the the, the uh, point where it it uh, goes between the two. So milk is like um, just a little bit past the neutral point. Uh, again, you have lactic acid in the milk, so you you would kind of expect that. You go to about the um, pH uh, five and a half to a pH four and a half. That's where coffee is, okay? Uh, the acidic elements and coffee. Right next to that, of course, is the red wines from about four and a half to about three and a half. And then below that are the white wines. So the white wines are, do have a there is some overlap, obviously, but then the white wines go to about, uh, to about the 2 and a, one and a half, uh, two and a half, excuse me, pH. Then below that, you have lemonade, and then Coca-Cola is even below that. Mm-hmm. So if you folks enjoy a lot of Coca-Cola, you're not going to have a problem with the acidity in this. You may have a problem with the Coca-Cola, but you won't have a problem with the wine. But there's, there's that. Anyway, so the, the point to be, be aware of is is, is uh, you have to be careful with, with, with how, how you do that uh, and if, if you're more sensitive to the acidity, but realize there's an integral part of it. Okay. So put, put the Coke down. Drink wine. Yeah, I, I, I would certainly recommend that. And uh, so then the the last section, we have only a couple minutes left here, but we always like to do wine in a movie. And, of course, there is a lot of Italian wines that you could certainly have with wine. If you need that as an excuse, I don't necessarily. But if, if you do, that, that's always a wonderful thing. So you want to have a, a wine. And we're looking at ones from the southern Italy uh, that go along with the cheeses and the pastas and the pizzas and all the rest of that wonderful stuff. So the first one, chronologically would be Beat the Devil, 1953. That's uh, almost an hour and a half. That was a John Huston with Humphrey Bogart, Jennifer Jones, and Gina Lola Brigida in her first American film. And uh, Gina is quite fetching in, in that movie, uh, as she is in a lot of things. Uh, the next one was Morgan the Pirate in 1960. Time in this one was interminable. It seemed like it went on forever. Anyway, that was with Steve Reeves. Boy, if any of you have been around long enough to remember that. Steve Reeves. Well, he was there. Uh, and uh, the only bright point, I thought, was uh, was uh, Cello Alonso, who was, who was in a lot of the swords and samples. In fact, Eric's looking at her picture they put in there and smiling. Uh, anyway, I think that was the best part of that movie. But... Uh, yeah, she, she, she was a, a great dancer, actually, and she had perfected a special belly dancing kind of thing that entranced a lot of people back in those days. Anyway, in 1971, it would be The, the Cameron, uh, directed by, directed by uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini. Uh, it's an uh, adaptation of the nine stories from the Boccaccio's The Cameron, which is one of those naughty books you weren't supposed to read when you were a kid. Uh, but any, anyway, very risque for its time and then the next one is what 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 that's what it's called what with a question mark believe it or not 1972 rated x now well, let's see who directed this oh roman polanski oh well that could identify something with uh, Sidney rome and Marcella mostriani uh, during her italian vacation a young and beautiful american tourist finds herself as a guest of a coastal villa inhabited by a bunch of odd people and of course, Roman is definitely one of the odd people that would be in this. That sounds
2: creepy <laughs> and psychedelic to me, right there. <laughs>
1: yeah, and the other one from uh, the, the that same year was Avanti, nineteen seventy. I finally got to see this one because uh, I would I always loved Billy Wilder stuff, and I always loved Jack Lemmon. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is a successful best man goes to Italy, rains return of his of his father's body, only to discover that he died with his mistress of long standing. It was kind of for Billy. This was kind of a misfire. I think I don't know if you ever, ever saw that one. I have not. It's um, it was t- too long. Let's say This was what, almost two hours. It was going too too long, and there was too many unbelievable, raising your eyebrows as far as they would go. This can't possibly be happening. So there's that.
0: And I hear that wonderful music oh, enticing us back. The Baroque music, ancient dances suite. There it is. This one not for the lute, but for the horn. Or the woodwinds, as they were. Another great addition. Uh, First party foul in my lifetime, maybe. I uh, pride myself on being uber-athletic, very balanced, and uh, never tipped anything over. But then again, we have that uh, makeshift board in there. Thank God it's gone next week. I cannot wait to get that new board in. It's going to be very exciting. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Jim Hammond, thank you. Eric, thank you. And thank you, all all of you, for listening right here in the Kiva last week for broadcasting up in Santa Fe and Los Alamos. Thanks for tuning in to AM600KIVABQ.fm or rockoftalk.com.